Chapter 11 of Specimen Days. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or how to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Specimen Days by Walt Whitman. Chapter 11 Jaunt Up the Hudson. June 20th. On the Mary Powell enjoyed everything beyond precedent. The delicious, tender summer day, just warm enough, the constantly changing but ever beautiful panorama on both sides of the river, went up near a hundred miles, the high, straight walls of the stony palisades, beautiful Yonkers, and beautiful Irvington. The never-ending hills, mostly in rounded lines, swathed with verdure, the distant turns like great shoulders in blue veils, the frequent gray and brown of the tall rising rocks, the river itself, now narrowing, now expanding, the white sails of the many sloops, yachts, and sea, some near, some in the distance, the rapid succession of handsome villages and cities, our boat is a swift traveler and makes few stops. The race, picturesque West Point, and indeed all along the costly and often turreted mansions forever showing in some cheery light color through the woods make up the scene. Happiness and Raspberries June 21 here I am on the west bank of the Hudson, 80 miles north of New York, near Esopus, at the handsome, roomy, honeysuckle and rose-embowered cottage of John Burroughs. The place, the perfect June days and nights, leaning toward crisp and cool, the hospitality of J. and Mrs. B., the air, the fruit, especially my favorite dish, currants and raspberries, mixed, sugared, fresh, and ripe from the bushes. I pick em myself. The room I occupy at night, the perfect bed, the window giving an ample view of the Hudson and the opposite shores, so wonderful towards sunset, and the rolling music of the R.R. trains far over there. The peaceful rest, the early Venus-heralded dawn, the noiseless splash of sunrise, the light and warmth indescribably glorious in which, soon as the sun is well up. I have a capital rubbing and rasping with the flesh brush, with an extra scour on the back by Al J., who is here with us all inspiriting my invalid frame with new life for the day. Then, after some whiffs of morning air, the delicious coffee of Mrs. B., with the cream, strawberries, and many substantials for breakfast. A Specimen Tramp Family June 22 This afternoon we went out, J.B., Al, and I, on quite a drive around the country. The scenery, the perpetual stone fences, some venerable old fellows, dark-spotted with lichens. The many fine locust trees, the runs of brawling water, often over descendants of rock, these and lots else. It is lucky the roads are first-rate here, as they are, for it is up or down hill everywhere, and sometimes steep enough. B has a tip-top horse, strong, young, and both gentle and fast. 
There is a great deal of wasteland and hills on the river edge of Ulster County, with a wonderful luxuriance of wild flowers and bushes. And it seems to me I never saw more vitality of trees, eloquent hemlocks, plenty of locusts, and fine maples, and the balm of Gilead giving out aroma. In the fields and along the roadsides unusual crops of the tall-stemmed wild daisy, white as milk and yellow as gold. We passed quite a number of tramps, singly or in couples, one squad a family in a rickety one-horse wagon, with some baskets, evidently their work and trade. The man seated on a low board in front, driving, the gauntish woman by his side, with a baby well bundled in her arms, its little red feet and lower legs sticking out right towards us as we passed and in the wagon behind we saw two or three crouching little children. It was a queer, taking, rather sad picture. If I had been alone and on foot, I should have stopped and held confab. But on our return nearly two hours afterward, we found them a ways further along, the same road in a lonesome open spot, hauled aside, unhitched, and evidently going to camp for the night. The freed horse was not far off, quietly cropping the grass. The man was busy at the wagon, the boy had gathered some dry wood and was making a fire, and as we went a little further we met the woman, afoot. I could not see her face in its great sunbonnet, but somehow her figure and gait told misery, terror, destitution. She had the rag-bundled, half-starved infant still in her arms, and in her hands held two or three baskets, which she had evidently taken to the next house for sale. A little barefoot five-year-old girl-child with fine eyes trotted behind her, clutching her gown. We stopped, asking about the baskets, which we bought. As we paid the money, she kept her face hidden in the recesses of her bonnet. Then, as we started and stopped again, Al, whose sympathies were evidently aroused, went back to the camping group to get another basket. He caught a look of her face and talked with her a little. Eyes, voice, and manner were those of a corpse animated by electricity. She was quite young, the man she was traveling with, middle-aged. Poor woman, what story was it, out of her fortunes, to account for that inexpressibly scared way, those glassy eyes, and that hollow voice? Manhattan from the Bay June 25 Returned to New York last night. Out today on the waters for a sail in the wide bay, southeast of Staten Island, a rough tossing ride and a free sight, the long stretch of Sandy Hook, the highlands of Navasink, and the many vessels outward and inward bound. We came up through the midst of all in the full sun. I specially enjoyed the last hour or two. A moderate sea breeze had set in, yet over the city and the waters adjacent was a thin haze concealing nothing, only adding to the beauty. 
From my point of view, as I write amid the soft breeze, with a sea temperature, surely nothing on earth of its kind can go beyond this show. To the left, the North River, with its far vista nearer, three or four warships anchored peacefully. The Jersey side, the banks of Weehawken, the Palisades, and the gradually receding blue lost in the distance to the right, the East River, the mast-hemmed shores, the grand obelisk-like towers of the bridge, one on either side in haze, yet plainly defined. Giant brothers twain, throwing free, graceful, interlinking loops high across the tumbled, tumultuous current below. The tide is just changing to its ebb. The broad water spread everywhere, crowded, no, not crowded, but thick as stars in the sky, with all sorts of sizes of sail and steam vessels, plying ferry boats, arriving and departing coasters, great ocean dons, iron black, modern, magnificent in size and power, filled with their incalculable value of human life and precious merchandise with here and there above all those daring careening things of grace and wonder those white and shaded swift darting fish birds i wonder if shore or sea elsewhere can outvie them ever with their slanting spars and fierce pure hawk-like beauty and motion First-class New York sloop or schooner yachts sailing this fine day the free sea in a good wind and rising out of the midst, tall-topped, ship-hemmed, modern American, yet strangely oriental, V-shaped Manhattan, with its compact mass, its spires, its cloud-touching edifices grouped at the center. The green of the trees and all the white, brown and gray of the architecture, well blended as I see it, under a miracle of limpid sky, delicious light of heaven above, and June haze on the surface below. Human and Heroic New York the general subjective view of New York and Brooklyn, will not the time hasten when the two shall be municipally united in one and named Manhattan? What I may call the human interior and exterior of these great seething oceanic populations, as I get it in this visit, is to me best of all. After an absence of many years, I went away at the outbreak of the Secession War, and have never been back to stay since. Again I resume with curiosity the crowds, the streets, I knew so well, Broadway, the ferries, the west side of the city, Democratic Bowery. Human appearances and manners as seen in all these, and along the wharves, and in the perpetual travel of the horse-carts, or the crowded excursion steamers, or in Wall and Nassau streets, by day, in the places of amusement, at night, bubbling and whirling, and moving like its own environment of waters. Endless humanity in all phases, Brooklyn also taken in for the last three weeks. 
No need to specify minutely enough to say that making all allowances for the shadows and side streaks of a million-headed city, the brief total of the impressions, the human qualities of these vast cities, is to me comforting, even heroic, beyond statement. Alertness, generally fine physique, clear eyes that look straight at you, a singular combination of reticence and self-possession, with good nature and friendliness, a prevailing range of according manners, taste, and intellect, surely beyond any elsewhere upon earth and a palpable outcropping of that personal comradeship i look forward to as the subtlest strongest future hold of this many-itemed union are not only constantly visible here in these mighty channels of men but they form the rule and average to-day i should say defiant of cynics and pessimists and with a full knowledge of all their exceptions and appreciative and perceptive study of the current humanity of new york gives the directest proof yet of successful democracy and of the solution of that paradox the eligibility of the free and fully developed individual with the paramount aggregate in old age, lame and sick, pondering for years on many a doubt and danger for this republic of ours, fully aware of all that can be said on the other side. I find in this visit to New York and the daily contact and rapport with its myriad people on the scale of the oceans and tides the best, most effective medicine my soul has yet partaken, the grandest physical habitat and surroundings of land and water the globe affords, namely Manhattan Island and Brooklyn, which the future shall join in one city, city of superb democracy amid superb surroundings. Hours for the Soul July twenty second, 1878 Living down in the country again. A wonderful conjunction of all that goes to make those sometime miracle hours after sunset so near and yet so far. Perfect or nearly perfect days, I notice, are not so very uncommon, but the combinations that make perfect nights are few even in a lifetime. We have one of those perfections tonight. Sunset left things pretty clear. The larger stars were visible soon as the shades allowed. A while after eight, three or four great black clouds suddenly rose, seemingly from different points, and sweeping with broad swirls of wind but no thunder, underspread the orbs from view everywhere and indicated a violent heat-storm. But without storm, clouds, blackness, and all, sped and vanished as suddenly as they had risen, and from a little after nine till eleven, the atmosphere and the whole show above were in that state of exceptional clearness and glory just alluded to. In the northwest turned the Great Dipper with its pointers around the Sinager. 
A little south of east, the constellation of the Scorpion was fully up, with red Antares glowing in its neck, while dominating majestic Jupiter swam, an hour and a half risen in the east, no moon till after eleven. A large part of the sky seemed just laid in great splashes of phosphorus. You could look deeper in, farther through, than usual, the orbs thick as heads of wheat in a field. Not that there was any special brilliancy either, nothing near as sharp as I have seen of keen winter nights, but a curious general luminousness throughout to sight, sense, and soul. The latter had much to do with it. I am convinced there are hours of nature, especially of the atmosphere, mornings and evenings. Addressed to the soul, night transcends for that purpose what the proudest day can do. Now, indeed, if never before, the heavens declared the glory of God. It was to the full sky of the Bible, of Arabia, of the prophets, and of the oldest poems. There, in abstraction and stillness, I had gone off by myself to absorb the scene, to have the spell unbroken, the copiousness, the removedness, vitality, loose, clear croudedness of that stellar concave, spreading overhead, softly absorbing into me, rising so free, intermittably high, stretching east, west, north, south, and I, though but a point in the center below, embodying all. As it for the first time indeed creation noiselessly sank into and through me its placid and untellable lesson beyond. Oh, so infinitely beyond. Anything from art, books, sermons, or from science old or new. The spirit's hour, religion's hour, the visible suggestion of God in space and time, now once definitely indicated, if never again. The untold pointed at, the heavens all paved with it. The Milky Way, as if some superhuman symphony, some ode of universal vagueness, disdaining syllable and sound, a flashing glance of deity, addressed to the soul. All silently, the indescribable night and stars, far off and silently. The Dawn, July 23. This morning, between one and two hours before sunrise, a spectacle wrought on the same background, yet of quite different beauty and meaning. The moon, well up in the heavens and past her half, is shining brightly, the air and sky of that cynical, clear, Minerva-like quality, virgin cool, not the weight of sentiment or mystery, or passion's ecstasy indefinable, not the religious sense, the varied all distilled and sublimated into one of the night just described." Every star now clear-cut, showing for just what it is, there in the colorless ether. The character of the heralded morning, ineffably sweet and fresh and limpid, but for the aesthetic sense alone and for purity without sentiment. I have itemized the night, but dare I attempt the cloudless dawn? 
what subtle tie is this between one's soul and the break of day alike and yet no two nights or morning shows ever exactly alike preceded by an immense star almost unearthly in its effusion of white splendor with two or three long unequal spoke rays of diamond radiance shedding down through the fresh morning air below an hour of this and then the sunrise the east what a subject for a poem indeed where else a more pregnant more splendid one where one more idealistic real more subtle more sensuous delicate the east answering all lands all ages peoples touching all senses here immediate now and yet so indescribably far off such retrospect the east long stretching so losing itself the orient the gardens of asia the womb of history and song forth issuing all those strange dim cavalcades florid with blood pensive wrapped with musings hot with passion sultry with perfume with ample and flowing garment with sunburnt visage intense soul and glittering eyes always the east old how incalculably old and yet here the same ours yet fresh as a rose to every morning every life to-day and always will be september seventeen another presentation same theme just before sunrise again a favorite hour with me the clear gray sky a faint glow in the dull liver color of the east the cool fresh odor and the moisture the cattle and horses off there grazing in the fields the star venus again two hours high for sounds the chirping of crickets in the grass the clarion of chanticleer and the distant cawing of an early crow quietly over the dense fringe of cedars and pines rises that dazzling red transparent disk of flame and the low sheets of white vapor roll and roll into dissolution the moon may eighteen i went to bed early last night but found myself waked shortly after twelve and turning a while sleepless and mentally feverish i rose dressed myself sallied forth and walked down the lane the full moon some three or four hours up a sprinkle of light and less light clouds just lazily moving jupiter an hour high in the east and here and there throughout the heavens a random star appearing and disappearing so beautifully veiled and varied the air with that early summer perfume not at all damp or raw at times luna languidly emerging in richest brightness for minutes and then partially enveloped again far off a poor whippoorwill plied his notes incessantly it was that silent time between one and three the rare nocturnal scene how soon it soothed and pacified me is there not something about the moon some relation or reminder which no poem or literature has yet caught in very old and primitive ballads i have come across lines or asides that suggest it 
After a while the clouds mostly cleared, and as the moon swam on she carried, shimmering and shifting, delicate color effects of pellucid green and tawny vapor. Let me conclude this part with an extract. Some writer in the Tribune, May 16, 1878. No one ever gets tired of the moon. Goddess that she is, by downer of her eternal beauty, she is a true woman, by her tact, knows the charm of being seldom seen, of coming by surprise, and staying but a little while, never wears the same dress two nights running, nor all night the same way. Commends herself to the matter-of-fact people by her usefulness, and makes her uselessness adored by poets, artists, and all lovers in all lands, lends herself to every symbolism and to every emblem, is Diana's bow and Venus's mirror and Mary's throne. Is a sickle, a scarf, an eyebrow, his face or her face, and looked at by her or by him, is the madman's hell, the poet's heaven, the baby's toy, the philosopher's study, and while her admirers follow her footsteps and hang on her lovely looks, she knows how to keep her woman's secret, her other side, unguessed and unguessable. Furthermore, February 19, 1880, just before 10 p.m., cold and entirely clear again, the show overhead bearing southwest of wonderful and crowded magnificence. The moon in her third quarter, the clusters of the Hyades and Pleiades, with the planet Mars between in full crossing, sprawl in the sky, the great Egyptian X, Cirrus, Procyon, and the main stars in the constellations of the ship, the dove, and of Orion. Just north of east, Bootes, and in his knee, Arcturus, an hour high, mounting the heaven, ambitiously large and sparkling, as if he meant to challenge with Sirius the stellar supremacy. With the sentiment of the stars and moon, such nights I get all the free margins and indefiniteness of music or poetry fused in geometry's utmost exactness. Straw-colored and other psyches. August 4. A pretty sight. Where I sit in the shade, a warm day, the sun shining from cloudless skies, the forenoon well advanced, I look over a ten-acre field of luxuriant clover hay, the second crop, the livid ripe red blossoms and dabs of August, brown thickly spotting the prevailing dark green. Over all flutter myriads of light yellow butterflies, mostly skimming along the surface, dipping and oscillating, giving a curious animation to the scene. The beautiful spiritual insects, straw-colored psyches. Occasionally one of them leaves his mates and mounts, perhaps spirally, perhaps in a straight line in the air, fluttering up, up, till literally out of sight. 
in the lane as i came along just now i noticed one spot ten feet square or so where more than a hundred had collected holding a revel a gyration dance or butterfly good time winding and circling down and across but always keeping within the limits the little creatures have come out all of a sudden the last few days and are now very plentiful as i sit outdoors or walk i hardly look around without somewhere seeing two always two fluttering through the air in amorous dalliance then their inimitable color their fragility peculiar motion and that strange frequent way of one leaving the crowd and mounting up up in the free ether and apparently never returning as I look over the field, these yellow wings everywhere mildly sparkling, many snowy blossoms of the wild carrot gracefully bending on their tall and tapered stems, while for sounds the distant guttural screech of a flock of guinea hens comes shrilly yet somehow musically to my ears. And now a faint growl of heat thunder in the north, and ever the low rising and falling wind purr from the tops of the maples and willows. August 20. Butterflies and butterflies, taking the place of the bumblebees of three months since, who have quite disappeared, continue to flit to and fro, all sorts, white, yellow, brown, purple, now and then some gorgeous fellow flashing lazily by on wings like artists' palettes dabbed with every color. Over the breast of the pond I notice many white ones crossing, pursuing their idle, capricious flight. Near where I sit grows a tall-stemmed weed, topped with a profusion of rich scarlet blossoms, on which the snowy insects alight and dally, sometimes four or five of them at a time. By and by a hummingbird visits the same, and I watch him coming and going, daintily balancing and shimmering about. These white butterflies give new beautiful contrasts to the pure greens of the August foliage, which have had some copious rains lately, and over the glistening bronze of the pond surface. You can tame even such insects. I have one big and handsome moth down here, knows and comes to me, likes me to hold him up on my extended hand. Another day. Later. A grand twelve-acre field of ripe cabbages with their prevailing hue of malachite green and floating, flying, over and among them in all directions myriads of these same white butterflies. As I came up the lane today, I saw a living globe of the same, two or three feet in diameter, many scores clustered together and rolling along in the air, adhering to their ball shape six or eight feet above the ground. A NIGHT REMEMBRANCE August 23, 9 to 10 a.m. I sit by the pond, everything quiet, the broad, polished surface spread before me, the blue of the heavens and the white clouds reflected from it, and flitting across now and then the reflection of some flying bird. Last night I was down here with a friend till after midnight. Everything a miracle of splendor. 
the glory of the stars and the completely rounded moon, the passing clouds, silver and luminous tawny, now and then masses of vapory illuminated scud, and silently by my side, my dear friend. The shades of the trees and patches of moonlight on the grass, the softly blowing breeze, and just palpable odor of the neighboring ripening corn. The indolent and spiritual night, inexpressibly rich, tender, suggestive, something altogether to filter through one's soul, and nourish and feed and soothe the memory long afterwards. Wildflowers this has been and is yet a great season for wildflowers. Oceans of them line the roads, through the woods, border the edges of the water runlets, grow all along the old fences, and are scattered in profusion over the fields. An eight-petaled blossom of gold-yellow, clear and bright, with a brown tuft in the middle, nearly as large as a silver half-dollar, is very common, yesterday on a long drive i noticed it thickly lining the borders of the brooks everywhere then there is a beautiful weed covered with blue flowers the blue of the old chinese teacups treasured by our great aunts i am continually stopping to admire a little larger than a dime and very plentiful white however is the prevailing color the wild carrot i have spoken of also the fragrant life everlasting but there are all hues and beauties especially on the frequent tracks of half-opened scrub oak and dwarf cedar hereabout wild asters of all colors notwithstanding the frost touch the hardy little chaps maintain themselves in all their bloom the tree leaves, too, some of them are beginning to turn yellow or drab or dull green. The deep wine color of the sumacs and gum tree is already visible and the straw color of the dogwood and beech. Let me give the names of some of these perennial blossoms and friendly weeds I have made acquaintance with hereabout one season or another in my walks. Wild azalea, dandelions, wild honeysuckle, yarrow, wild roses, coreopsis, goldenrod, wild pea, larkspur, woodbine, early crocus, elderberry, sweet flag, great patches of it, pokeweed, creeper, trumpet flower, sunflower, Scented marjoram, chamomile, snake root, violets, Solomon's seal, clematis, sweet balm, bloodroot, mint, great plenty, swamp magnolia, wild geranium, milkweed, wild heliotrope, wild daisy, plenty, burdock, Wild Chrysanthemum. End of chapter 11. Recording by Aaron Elliott, St. Louis, Missouri.